different ends of the the digestive process it's all one long tube man yeah that's true welcome to chorus versus chorus <laughs> <laughs> what I if i kept one that long tube that runs through my body <laughs> i'm ethan <laughs> what if i kept that in should i just keep that whole thing in yeah why not it's fun Lo- lose lose <laughs> nine of our 10 remaining listeners <laughs> i'm into um, it Hi everybody! Welcome to Chorus versus Chorus. I'm Dane. I'm Ethan. I'm Dane. I'm still Ethan. Your Here body we... just turned over the last of its cells from seven <laughs> years ago. I'm a new man. You're I'm the a new man. you're the ship of Ethanness. Hi everybody! Uh, this is Chorus versus Chorus, a podcast about music in which my co-host and I compete to see who has better taste in music. We bring you a theme every single week. And even when Ethan wins, I know in my heart that I'm always the winner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ethan, will you tell us about the theme for this week? I will. Let me say the name of the theme. It is yearbook. And when we say yearbook, we're talking about superlatives. Superlatives. So for example, you might open up the yearbook and you might see best athlete. You might see spelling bee champ you might see help me out dane you would see uh, life of the party you would see most likely to end up in prison after graduating <laughs> that would be pretty dark but you might see that <laughs> you would see most likely to start a fortune 500 company oh definitely which in, i'm sure in the town i grew up in you you, you would see oh, that God. in your book the parents would fight over whose kid got the award anywho suburbs (laughs) what made you think of this theme ethan were you on the yearbook staff in high school i was not on the yearbook staff in school i kind of hated the whole yearbook thing because there was all this pressure to get the yearbook signed and then other people wanted you to sign their yearbook and i never knew what to write and i Mm. thought it had to be heartfelt but i wasn't really good enough at being heartfelt and then i was like maybe it should be funny but then i wasn't good enough being funny and then i just felt terrible and then by the time you finished thinking that all over everyone had already left and they hadn't exactly. asked you to sign their yearbooks yeah. yeah talk about high school Jeez, <laughs> Jeez, louise uh i always kind of forget in my line of work you know because i'm always so caught up in the pedagogy and the content and like doing my job and making sure kids learn i always kind of forget that amid high school all, is terrible yeah amid all <laughs> that like i have a room of just 30 people having the worst time of their lives <laughs> they're just and then the and then miserable. the people who are having the best time of their lives are going to have the worst time are, of their lives once, once they high school ends. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So truly yearbooks, you know, yearbooks. So when high school ends. So we are taking some of those superlatives and making them into our three categories for this week. So we are going to be talking about artists that we feel fit into the following three yearbook superlative categories, which are number one, most improved 
player. Number two is the class clown. Our last category is most likely to succeed. Love that one. There you go. I was going to say, did you ever get a most improved player award? Because I did. Did I? It was humiliating. Um, I don't think I ever got one because I just never improved from being bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm still as bad as I was the day I was Re- I'm truly, truly, I never improved <laughs> any sport in high school. I was so bad at baseball and I got a most improved player award. It was humiliating. You should never give anyone a most improved. Yeah. I was award. so bad at baseball that I almost didn't make the varsity team my senior year, which is it's like my school was small enough and bad enough at baseball that like <laughs> if you tried out, you got on the team because, mm-hmm. there, you know, what's the harm? And but uh, it was it was a close call. <laughs> they they actually revised the policy after the year you played because they were like, oh, we see the harm now. Right. They were like, oh, no, what have we done? I forgot you played baseball. Did you um? what did you what was your position? Bench. <laughs> <laughs> Um, sitting on the sidelines watching what what did you what were you supposed to play i was supposed to pitch but you know when you go through puberty when you're 17 it's mm. kind of hard to be competitive in high school athletics you seem like a guy who would would pitch because you're tall yes but i was not until i was 17 and problem. did you try to be like johnny damon who johnny damon the baseball player yeah the guy with the long hair and then the yankees made him cut um it. i mean like, did you wear did long I, hair? Oh, did I have long hair? I did have long hair. Wait, am I, I remembering was, the right guy? He's the guy who had long yeah, hair on yeah, the yeah. red socks. No, you're, and then, you're right. And then the Yankees made him cut it. Yeah, I was I was so shocked that you knew who Johnny Damon was that it, like, didn't register that you could be talking about Johnny Damon from the Red Sox. Listen, Ethan, there are times where sports people break through to the commoners, the people who don't pay attention. For example, I know who Brett Favre is, and I know that he just defrauded a bunch of welfare recipients out of money. Love that. There you go. So why don't we get started? Let's do it. I also am interested to hear how we came to our conclusions about these categories. Also, Mm -hmm. I will say, I chose three artists that you probably uh, haven't heard of. Probably, they're pretty underground, but I chose three artists that I think could fit in any of these categories. Okay. Which I really like. So as I go through, I won't ruin it for the next category, but I will go and in retrospect, Boy, call man. out and explain. Mm. So yeah, let's just dive into it. Um, we are going to start with our most improved player. So Dane, uh, let's talk about an artist, uh, the artist you chose, who, again, pretty, probably pretty haven't indie, heard of. Pretty, pretty left field choice. Yeah. With these more, you know, abstract, fun, you know, interpretive episodes, it's usually just a clearing house for the music that we want to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, as of late. So mm-hmm. I really, 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 really want to talk about Beyonce's new album. So I'm, you know, this is so my show. It. So this is my show. So I'm doing it. <laughs> Uh, but it's also true, most improved player. It's so I chose the song Church Girl from Beyonce's new album, Renaissance, which came out this summer. Beyonce, you know her. She's from Destiny's Child, which was an obscure RB group from the late Another 90s, early kind 2000s. of uh, underground, underground really group. Tough to and... find their music <laughs> nowadays. So 
So before I explain why I chose this for most improved player, which I think will raise the ire of, of many people, I have, I have two reasons why I gave it most improved player. But uh, basically, Beyonce is from Texas. She came up with the group Destiny's Child, which was uh, managed by her father. And her father kind of set her to the to the front in a lot of ways. There's a little, quite a lot of drama in Destiny's Child. Oftentimes, kind of overshadowing the music, but Beyonce's talent was always, you know, apparent. It was always clear that she would be the breakthrough star. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's always weird to analyze a super public figure an iconic figure like Beyonce but would you agree with me that like for the first I don't know eight years of her career she was like very respected beloved as I don't know Britney Spears would have been but then in 2008 when the single ladies video happened it took her to this sort of like different status is that is that accurate I think there I don't know if it was single ladies specifically but like I don't feel like it's been like a moment that we all remember when this happened it it almost just feels like it was an inevitable rise you know there are some people who like they they come on the scene and you're like whoa this is crazy where did this come from and there are other people who just like grow like a like a dragon in a cavern under a mountain (laughs) and just slowly start to amass well, their gold you're you're saying it better than i could which is uh part <gasps> of the I? reason why i well which is why i kind of said that she's the most improved player which again i know is gonna offend people because a lot of people would die for her if you think little monsters are crazy the fans of lady gaga wait till mm-hmm. you meet the bay hive so my reasons for saying that beyonce on this album renaissance is the most improved player is both personal and i think objective basically what i was saying is like yes she had those albums in the early 2000s and they had songs like naughty girl that I think anyone would admit are like strong but run-of-the-mill 2000s pop songs you know and then the Sasha Fierce album comes out in 2008 it it elevates her more the single ladies thing turns into this like Michael Jackson figure almost like just the ultimate entertainer Mm -hmm. her album in 2011 four comes out and people were like no, this is like a religion. Liking Beyonce is like a religion. Mm-hmm. And around that time, I started going like, okay, well, come on. She's very talented. She's good, but she's not like a supernova. Like her music doesn't like blow doors down. In 2013, she did the secret album drop of her self-titled album. Mm-hmm. That marked this other turn where she was no longer like this really talented, beautiful, beloved pop icon, but she was also a genius. She was an artist. And that's where that started with that Beyonce album. And then Lemonade comes out in 2016. It pushes that narrative even further. She's an auteur now. So on a personal level, I've never connected with Beyonce and just in an inverse proportionate way have balked at the amount of breathless praise that she gets as a genius. All this has changed now that Renaissance has dropped for me personally. And I also think objectively even from two albums the self-titled in 2013 and lemonade in 2016 both of which you cannot heap more praise upon those two albums 
to me, this album is, I, I couldn't possibly rely on the word masterpiece to to convey what it is. It is simply an astonishing work of art. It is a kaleidoscopic tour through the last 50 years of Black dance music and what that has meant for Black and Brown queer people and in these spaces since the 70s that have been like vilified and mocked by the white culture at large as representing Black liberation through culture and dance and community. This is most improved player for Beyonce because I just personally think this album is not the work of a person who has been famous in making music for 20 years. This is the work of someone who is an incredibly powerful artist who is hungry and omnivorous and has something to prove. So let me pump the brakes. <laughs> it was incredibly hard for me to choose a song from this album because very of a piece the songs blend into each other. It's like a DJ set, which, you know, you know, I love that. I'm sure you do too. And if you divorce any one song from its context, it's kind of like hard because it's a very contextual album. And I'll post in the show description, this one New York Times article that explains just, again, the kaleidoscope of samples, co-producers and co-songwriters and collaborators on these songs that is referencing or working with disco sampling Donna Summer, working with Nile Rodgers of Chic and Raphael Sadiq, working with Chicago Gospel, 2000 Chicago Hip Hop, working with New Orleans Bounce Music, Chicago House, Detroit Techno, all the way to like what they call hyper pop now, which we talked about with our episode mm -hmm. with Charles, uh, A.G. Cook and the PC music scene. She has a song that, right? It is, it is truly like a master's thesis on the history of Black dance music since the 70s. It's astonishing. And it's also fun. And it's also trashy. So I chose the song Church Girl because there's like a lot going on in it. It's a really interesting one to talk about. And to me, like to get a conversation started about this album, I think it's a really good song to represent like all the different layers going on within the song. I, I think Beyonce's put out a lot of good music. Whoa, mm -hmm. hot take. <laughs> but I've never been impressed really by an album. I think Lemonade I was impressed by, but like an album, she's not really an album right. artist to me. And I think listening to a lot of her albums, there's just a lot of songs that I'm just kind of like, I could skip and never listen to oh, again. Oh, for sure. I think this, the way this album is set up really is, is beneficial to her because there isn't really a single, I mean, I'm sure there's a song on this album that's being promoted as a single well, or being I, played one, on the radio, but. One thing I admire about this album is that it is like decidedly anti-commercial, which is an incredibly right. bold thing to do. Right. Um, okay. I would push back against that because house music is extremely commercially popular right now. There is an, I mean, Drake put out a house album, right? Like if no, I'm if aware that, you know, stylistically there is a weirdness and there is an undermining of her image 
this album is incredibly raunchy and weird. And she does things with her voice that I never would have expected that she couldn't do because she's mm -hmm. an incredibly talented vocalist, but she she's funny on this album. Mm -hmm. She stretches her voice like elastic and she mm -hmm. like it is vapid and hedonistic. I just but anyway, totally but anyway, I I I appreciate what you're saying, but I just totally disagree that she's never been vapid or that she's never been incredibly hedonistic or all of these things that you're saying. Oh. I think she has never done that across the course of an album. Okay. She's never Wait, had so real quick. Have yeah. you, li you've listened to the album? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I, I'm not just like throwing out. Here's my thoughts based on, I, I didn't realize you had listened to it. Yeah, no, no, I've listened to it. I mean, I think I have not, heard a Beyonce album that is as thematically consistent and feels yeah. like an album as yeah. this does. And that's yeah. really nice to hear because she, you know, we deserve to be hearing that from her. She's that good of an artist. So like, of course we should hear a, an album that is an album and not just kind of a collection of songs that right. got written, you know, and kind of fall into this period of hers. Right. I do right. think she has been incredibly hedonistic. I do think she's stretched her voice like elastic. I do think she's done all of these things but she hasn't done it consistently throughout the course of an album and I think that's what makes it really powerful I also think that my ear has very rarely been caught by a Beyonce song and I was really trying to think about why I think this is I think that Beyonce has the type of voice that like if you put her I think she sounds better live so uh what was the homecoming was that the live yeah, the, the the Coachella thing. amazing yeah. Oh, yeah, that's amazing great. right i could watch beyonce perform live a thousand times over on an album it's just not as good and i think that this is sort of the there are certain artists who really benefit from immaculate production where mm -hmm. every single you know millisecond of a song is quantized and cleaned mm -hmm. up and eq'd and auto-tuned within an inch of its life and there are artists that that's their whole thing, that they sound really good in that kind of crisp way. And I don't think Beyonce has ever sounded good because her voice has so much character that gets lost in this kind of production. This production. This shovel. is almost as if you took it to the extreme end of it, mm -hmm. where you are you're like a lot of this album listening to it just feels like the production is being used in new and unique ways that really yeah. suit her voice a lot yeah. better than just like let's do the thing that we were doing in 2007 or right. let's do the thing that we were doing in 2018 to make all songs sound like they should go on the radio. And this, this doesn't sound like it should go on the which radio. Which is especially true of her voice, how it was treated with like the, with Naughty Girl or something. Right. Like, yeah. So I like this album a lot. I don't think thematically so it's particularly like novel or interesting. I don't think the fact that it's doing house is particularly novel and interesting. I think the fact that it's like, one, not a weird collection of like singles plus filler is mm -hmm. very much to her benefit. And I think, too, the fact that it's giving her voice a new palette, a mm -hmm. new kind of scene on which to work is awesome. I would love a Beyonce. I like if Beyonce was an artist in the 60s, I think mm -hmm. that music would be so much more compelling just because of the way that things sounded, because if there was more it, space. It, in Aretha Franklin exactly. production, yeah. I think of her as like, she has the same power of like vocal stylings of an Aretha Franklin or an Etta James. And the, the thing that we love listening to those artists is their voice carries the whole song. 
And I don't think Beyonce has ever been truly given the space in terms of a production to let her voice carry a song. You could argue like love on top, but it's more just gymnastics, right? Like that's more to me like Mariah Carey, right? I don't think Mariah Carey sings like Beyonce does because Beyonce can sing with this insane amount of emotion and and power and and yeah. Well, I am, I'm happy that you like the album. I disagree that it's not thematically interesting. And I also disagree that like, yeah, she's been hedonistic and vapid before, but not to a thematic end. And I also think that for what makes me like this album so much is that for the first time, the voice is not the point of the album. It's an auteur album where she is putting the music first and her voice is supporting the musical ideas. Yeah. And that's what I really like about it. Mm-hmm. And let me let me just kind of dig into this song as like an idea. And I also want to push back. Like I know, like yeah, Drake made a house album. Drake Drake also appropriated bounce, right? Like Drake worked with Big Frida four years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So none of that's new either. But I mean, Drake has had lobbed at him that like it's just sort of like chopping up and throwing into a single like these kinds of nods towards bounce music or something like that. So it's not novel that Beyonce is doing the house thing or the bounce thing. But the fact that it is so dense and well studied and also autobiographically rooted in the milieu of this music, a character in this album is her uncle Johnny. You know, she said he was my godmother and the first person to expose me to a lot of the music and culture that serve as inspiration for this album. Thank you to all the pioneers who originate culture, to all the fallen angels whose contributions have gone unrecognized for far too long. This is a celebration for you. And her uncle uh, passed away from HIV. So this is, you know, not not a reaction to a particular pop cultural moment. I think it is autobiographically rooted. It's passionate and it's using the past to create something new. So I'll talk about the song that I chose real quick. And I swear, you know, obviously I have a lot to say about this album. I swear I'm not going to talk about my other two this long. It's only been half an hour. It's fine. So Church Girl, I chose because it's hard to choose any one song. And like, maybe this isn't the best song on the album, but it is produced by No ID, who is a Chicago producer who you know, has worked with Kanye West and J. Cole. And what begins the song is a sample of a Chicago gospel song, Center of Thy Will by the Clark Sisters. And what's neat, first of all, about this modern gospel or like the commercialization or the like traditional distribution of gospel as a kind of music is rooted in Chicago. And the song begins with a pitched up, sped up, hip-hop sample of a Chicago gospel song Mm. in the style by no ID of Kanye West of early 2000s pitched up R&B gospel Kanye West. And what happens is Beyonce comes in and she's just doing a young, gifted and black kind of thing. She's doing gospel with her voice, but that is not the point of the song. She's not doing a gospel song. Suddenly what drops in is a bounce song. If you would like to know 
what bounce is, make sure you listen to our episode Obscurity, where I, I broke down the history of uh, bounce music in New Orleans, which began in the housing authority of New Orleans and is this very like marginalized music that became really famous 20 years later. She's doing the hype man of bounce music, really repetitive, saying drop it like a thoughty over and over and over and over again. Then what happens is, again, this is what I mean by the like the raunchiness, the vapidity. It's it's all towards an end. There's a part where she says now shake that uh, she's going to shake that ass and then pretty tickled bitties. And then what comes in when she says that is the trigger man sample. And I've ta- mm-hmm. I talked about trigger man at uh, in the obscurity episode. Trigger man beat is in the way that I don't know, like syncopated upstroke guitar is the foundation of every reggae song right the trigger man beat is the the foundation of every bounce song so the song is awesome it's really funny I think it's really cool. It's doing bounce in a way that like Nice For What by Drake just was like, this is like a cool hip thing. Let's put it in the song. Mm -hmm. This is doing bounce in a way that is like deeply referential and sounds like bounce in a way that is like, Mm -hmm. frankly, kind of ugly in a way that I find Beyonce has never put herself in that position before. And then also to take Chicago soul and gospel and marry it with Southern hip hop and bounce music that came out of the housing projects of New Orleans to create an association between Black Christianity and Black spiritualism, making it its corollary, Black people in a housing project dancing together, calling out each other's culture and building these culture pieces and like moving their bodies together in a much more like hedonistic way in a way that's like rooted in this other kind of culture saying that bounce music and that culture is like as spiritual and as liberatory, I think is really powerful and really cool. And it's all conveyed through this really funny, goofy, slutty song. Throughout this whole album, I don't think she ever overplays her hand on these kinds of connections and these subtexts, but the whole thing is incredibly smart and exciting and dense. And that's why I picked the song. And that's why this is my choice for most improved player. Just, I just think it's a masterpiece. Okay. I swear that was just a clearinghouse for my thoughts on Renaissance by Beyonce now. Give us your most improved player. All right. Well, I am going to talk about another, again, very underground artist. You mm-hmm. may not have heard of him. His name is Tyler, the creator. Tyler, I, comma, the Tyler, creator. comma, the creator. I could have chosen a lot of different songs for this 
most improved. I mean, his last like three albums have all been very good. I went with Earthquake from the album Igor, which came out, I believe, in 2019. Before I get into the song, a little bit about Tyler, the creator, because although most people have heard of him, I think his background is is really interesting and definitely is important when you think about improvement. He was born Tyler Gregory Okonma in Hawthorne, California, which is right outside of LA. He must be of um, Nigerian descent. Sounds like a Nigerian name. He is son of a Nigerian father, actually. And although he never met his father, he was estranged from his father. But basically, Tyler grew up being the most, if, if ADHD could be a lifestyle, this kid <laughs> had it. When he was young, he would take out covers of CD cases and like make his own imaginary albums with like different song names and track listings and and song lengths he didn't even play music at the time so he was just like doing this for fun just these imaginary albums featuring people throughout his 12 years of elementary and high school he moved to 12 different schools so he was all over the place again talking about class clown he was like a total class clown he wanted to be in the band but he couldn't read music got kicked out of his drama class because he was like too hyper and insane and basically he was a jerk (laughs) yeah i mean just like a total jerk running around causing havoc In 2007, while he was 16, 15, 16 years old, he founded this collective called Odd Future. Odd Future, Wolfgang, killed them all. Kill them all, Uh, of course. Is is the full name is important. So Odd Future is this collection of friends and hangers on and basically a whole bunch of people. And they put out this Odd Future tape in 2008. It gets a lot of attention from, I mean, even all the way up to like sites like Pitchfork, but it was grown from Tumblr. It's like really like the, yeah, Odd Future is the ultimate culmination of Tumblr culture kind of breaking Mm -hmm. through into real life. Yeah, exactly. It was not only the fact that these kids, right, 16, some of the people in the group were like 14 years old. I think Earl was like 13, maybe when he (laughs) did his first album, Earl Sweatshirt, who's another member of the Odd Future, Frank Ocean, also in Odd Future. Sid, Sid, yeah. just a bunch of artists. It was novel because they were kids, but it was also got a lot of attention because it was incredibly violent, misogynistic, sexist, homophobic, pretty much everything, <laughs> everything you know, you that you throw, <laughs> everything that you can throw in a blender. And it was, <laughs> which I'll, is ironic because of... that, uh, that Earl sweatshirt video had them putting a bunch of pills in a blender and drinking it and bleeding right. out of their eyeballs. That's a funny uh, way to put it. Tyler kept getting more and more popular. He put out this music video for the song Yonkers, which gets an enormous amount of attention. It's a self-directed video where he's got cockroaches crawling over him and, and it's, it's like racking white. like half of the lens is racking focus and the other it's a really like cool video technically yeah he's also kind of like a fashion trendsetter he kind of like brought back a lot of like skate yeah skater like culture aesthetic tie-dyes yeah. and but um there was a ton of backlash i mean i remember going to pitchfork when he was performing back in maybe like 2011 or 2012 and there were people protesting outside you know people representing glad or different lgbt organizations who were just like he loved the f slur he loved yeah and so he comes from this background where he's just like wreaking havoc and causing trouble and offending people and has he has a show on adult swim he starts working with all these other how would i say it like more eclectic artists so he puts out this album wolf in 2013 he's 
got all of his odd future people on there, but also Pharrell is on there. Erica Badu is on there, like more eclectic things going on, different sounds coming into his music. I really think he just kind of matured. He came out about his homophobia and talked about his own sexuality. He talked about his very close friend, Frank Ocean's sexuality and how that influenced him. And he admitted his wrongdoing in a lot of the things that he said and the music that he made. Um, well, and he's admitted and he, he's bisexual, right? Admitted he's bisexual. Yeah. Along with that, he started to explore a lot of things that were not this like very aggressive, abrasive kind of pure hip hop sound. The album that really was a big shift in his music was Flower Boy. It's a great album. Um, which is a superb album that came out in 2017. You know, you've got Tyler like saying on it, which is this really big turn for him. There's a lot more emotional vulnerability. I think this is where he starts to realize he can take all of his different influences and kind of do whatever he wants. He puts out Igor in 2019. And this is where he's not only doing the music that he wants and doing all these different influences, but he's also becoming a character. And he's really becoming like, to me, an artist really blossoms into this. And this song to me is emblematic of the peak of his powers in terms of his ability to write a song. It's this song to me is like really catchy. It's really also very messy. You know, it takes the elements that he had in his early music, which was him speaking into a mic on a MacBook <laughs> Pro and using GarageBand, and it's like sounds horrible and it's not <laughs> EQ'd at all. And he puts that into this like really highly produced, extremely slick record. And, you know, two songs later, he's screaming into the microphone, right? So this mm-hmm. this album and this song is just emblematic to me of him taking all these different pieces of himself and his music and his artistry and, and putting them into one. Yeah, I am not surprised. I, I don't I don't mean this as a trying to be cool or pretend like I was prescient or something like I, you know, I don't think I had special knowledge. I think I was kind of like in a majority opinion that he was going to get better. I, like, I, I'm not surprised that this is how his career turned out. I always thought Flower Boy was just sort of waiting to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It was always apparent that he was just a shitty kid and, you know, was going to grow up. I mean, the sexuality thing was surprising, but also not surprising because people who are extremely homophobic, I mean, it, it's surprising when an extremely homophobic person gently admits that they're queer. So that was refreshing, but like it never surprised me at all because it was always very clear that he was from a very young age blessed with a really clear vision of what he wants to do. Cause he's not like the, he's not like Logan Paul. 
right? Or like, you know, six nine or whatever. Like these these dipshit brats who kind of stumbled ass first into success despite themselves. Tyler always had a clear vision. He was the nucleus of Odd Future, which is since Wu-Tang, the most unbelievable wellspring of future talent in the music industry. Just Earl Sweatshirt, Frank Ocean, and Sid alone are like three of the most prominent artists in rap and R&B you know the past 15 years yeah he was the nucleus of that and like to be a teenager to understand how to market himself to create a community an artist community that gravitated around his charisma to nurture it to maintain it to run interference against mixtape blogs and you know like Mm -hmm. bully people if they bully him and create this brand and create really original fashion and create mythology around this collective of artists and the body of work even to just have frank ocean be affiliated with you all of that it was like apparent and i always thought it's just a matter of time before he becomes the artist that he's like supposed to be i'm just happy that he was able to persist with any great artist it is literally just you do it for long enough and you will get good there's so many artists who never had that opportunity or never felt like they were good enough or they had so many doubts and like he just kept at it he just kept doing it doing it doing it and he just has a vision for himself and it's yeah. it's really cool to see yeah. so yeah it's, yeah it's a it's a happy ending and he's gonna you know for the next several decades give us some really interesting music so yeah yeah. Well, um, I'm going to give it to you because I did not have as much material prepared as you and you are very hyped on this Beyonce album. So Ethan, I literally, album. can I just tell you, that was all off the top of my head. That's how <laughs> obsessed I've been with Renaissance and how much I've been reading about it. I didn't Too prepare notes. Deep. Too <laughs> deep. Thank Damn. you. I'll take the point. I'll take the point. You got it. Okay. And I swear I'm not going to talk that long about Renaissance. <laughs> uh, tell us about class clown tell us about your choice even about your other incredibly obscure billion play song happy to do so <laughs> i chose the one and only doja cat so love her i love talk her. about a person with an interesting background holy shit y'all okay i'm gonna get into that in one minute the song i chose is kiss me more featuring SZA this song is just fucking awesome so I really I have very little to say about the song if you don't find it catchy or appealing I don't think you have ears I know maybe it's like not her best song or maybe there's other oh, it's songs so or whatever. it's so rad I just think it's like this should be played every summer from here until eternity because it's a good song <laughs> Doja Cat. Doja Cat. Born Amala Ratna Zandalay Delamini. Born in LA. Her mother, a graphic designer of Ashkenazic Jewish heritage. Her father, a South African performer of Zulu descent. So, very interesting already. Very musical, very artistic family. 
lives for five years with her grandmother in Rye, New York, who was also artistic, was a painter and an architect. And then at the age of eight, moves with her mother and brother to an ashram in Santa Monica. She begins attending dance lessons to learn Indian classical dancing, basically. She begins Mm -hmm. to attend those kinds of lessons, gets a vocal coach who is her aunt, um, and helps her get into this performing arts high school. She dropped out when she was a junior. She really was struggling with ADHD. And then she tried to make it in music, taught herself to use GarageBand and make beats on her own. She started uploading music, putting stuff on SoundCloud. She was doing ciphers. She was doing all this stuff. And if if, uh, Odd Future came up during the Tumblr era, like she came up during the SoundCloud Reddit era. Yeah. (laughs) She gets featured in the show Empire randomly. And then she ends up getting this um, major commercial release, which actually really doesn't do very well it's a an album called amala which comes out in 2018 it's a great album though it is a good album yeah for sure and go to um, go to town that's my favorite doja cat song (laughs) and um what ends up happening is she makes this homemade music video for the song moo which is spelled (laughs) m-o-o-o exclamation point which is literally her just saying bitch i'm a cow bitch i'm a cow i go moo don't say now bitch i'm a cow bitch i'm a cow bitch i'm a cow bitch i'm a cow go every time i listen to it i am immediately happier she was born in the world of memes she's yeah. you know she's a she's a meme first and she's foremost, a meme queen you know? for sure this is why one of the reasons i chose her for class clown the thing that launches her to absolute stardom, saying, bitch, I'm a cow. She becomes really popular. She um, puts out this song, Juicy, which um, then gets a remix and features, I believe it's Nicki Minaj on that. Um, she's got to say, popular. she doesn't She doesn't need a guest spot by Nicki because she can rap as well as she sings. She can <laughs> rap. She does not need Nicki. Definitely not. And Moo, that's one song. It's funny. She's like kind of goofy. I get it. All you need to do to really understand how much of a clown this woman is, is go to her TikTok page. She is fucking hilarious. She's so funny. So my, I'll just use one example. One of my favorite things that she ever did, she put a TikTok up in which she says, my record label or my management or whatever made me ink a deal with Taco Bell. And I am supposed to promote their newly released taco pizza. And she's like, I don't want to do this. I'm very <laughs> upset, but I have to contractually create a one minute rap song about the taco pizza. <laughs> she's like, I made this beat and it's like the worst beat ever. And she raps for a fully one minute about taco pizza with the most deadpan. <laughs> like, I hate my life. What has this come to look in her eye? Yeah. I got beans, I need meat. I need a shell with the sauce and cheese. Give you hell if you cross me, we. About to throw hands if you want try me. This ain't been new, I will end you. If you ever dare Her music's funny too. Like, Go to Town has some some zingers on it, you know. For she sure, shaved, but it's... She shaved it's, it all off Charlie Brown with it. <laughs> it's still like, 
it's still serious pop music, right? Like right. serious as in like heavy hitting pop music, hundreds of millions of streams, but you can still, and maybe it's just a function of like today's day and age, but but like you can, to be able to do that and also release a one minute song about taco pizza is pretty fucking special. So, well, yeah. And I, I think it springs from the crucible that she was formed in, which is edgelord internet. Like that's how she came yeah. up and she like interacted with dudes in dude spaces, mm-hmm. kind of like 4chan adjacent dudes, like making music and pushing herself through the muck and mire of that. And like, yeah, if you look on Wikipedia, like she got in trouble at the beginning of her career because she had some like satirical songs about race, mm. about her race and stuff like that. But like, no, she was formed in the crucible of the internet and she is, she's weird Twitter, you know, she's awesome. And she's like beautiful and super talented. She can rap yeah. as well as she can sing. And yeah. yeah, she's just a superstar. I love her. Let's talk about your pick. Let's talk about another great, great, hilarious group and especially a song. Hilarious song, hilarious group. I chose Wet Leg, which Ethan and I are at an impasse about this. I think it's a terrible name. He thinks it's an evocative name, right? Yeah, I Um, don't think good. I wouldn't describe (laughs) it as a good band name, but I think it, you know, does the job for sure. uh, According to Wikipedia, they chose the name by playing a game, picking different emoji combinations. And they got to, I imagine, the spraying water and Mm. then a leg, wet leg. This group is a group from the Isle of Wight. So random. Which is really random, which has a very prominent music festival there every year. And also they're very famously Jimi Hendrix. He played a very like famous show there. Mm -hmm. Uh, According to their bio on Spotify, it is accessible only by boat. It's off the south coast of England. The group is made of Ryan Teasdale and Hester Chambers. Ryan being R-H-I-A-N pan uk sort of name for a woman according to this the band is called wet leg wet leg is sad music for party people and party music for sad people so if that doesn't give you a little sense of what their what their deal is i mean they make i would call it like Britpop revivalist there there are points where it sounds like elastica which i love one of my favorite bands it's a little like wire-ish it's a little Mm post-punk Mm-hmm. And it is extremely hilarious. If you want to get a sense of how funny they are, watch listen to this ti- song. Listen to the song, but also watch their Tiny Desk concert. Oh, um, I have not seen that. They have a very, they're just very deadpan. And you'll get a sense of it right at the beginning because the lead singer leans to the microphone and like says to this group of, you know, buttoned up NPR people at All Songs Considered, she goes, all right hang on to your buttholes (laughs) and their breakthrough single when they were actually uh opening for harry styles which is interesting we're living in quite an era where the boundaries of genre are meaningless right well i i told you i went to a lord concert where the openers were in order mitski and run the jewels incredible we live in the best (laughs) time We live in the best <laughs> musical era ever. I love it. So strange. I love it. Anyway. But they had a very uh, buzzy online single called Chase Long, which is an amazing song, has references to Mean Girls in it. 
And mm. also, if you were to watch this Tiny Desk concert, you their their performance of it is just funny, right? <laughs> the way that these two girls interact with each other in the song, like, excuse me, and the other one goes, what? And they just look at each other and smile. It's just very charming. <laughs> This song rocks. I've had it on repeat for a month now. It's called Your Mum. You are mum. And it's a diss track, basically uh, about, a, I think, a boy who has let them down. She says, when I think about what you've become, I feel sorry for your mum, which is devastating, I think. I think that's a devastating insult. band is very vulgar i just love how blunt they are they just swear a lot you know they they insert the f word just between random words they're raunchy and then they end the song your mom the last 30 seconds of the song i think are my <laughs> favorite moment in music of the decade so far it just is so funny and so good like so impressive you know we get through the song we even get through the bridge and then the music just drops low and the singer goes okay i've been practicing my longest and loudest scream and she counts it down and proceeds to unleash the most blood-curdling and longest scream i've ever heard in my life It's beautiful. It works with the melody of the song. Mm -hmm. It sounds really good. And it is hilarious. So funny. Wet Leg is just appropriate for the kind of music they make. It's like really gross and funny and it just rocks really hard. Love them. I would give it a tie. I'm good with a tie. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I don't want to give one over the other. They're just both so, so rad. They are both sick. Our last category is most likely to succeed. Mm-hmm. Did you get that, that superlative? I definitely did not. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe I got... that's good. Is I it probably a got, I don't know. I got most likely to succeed in, in, in annoying all of us. Actually, in my yearbook, I think in 10th grade, I got life of the party, which is weird because I, I didn't party. Well, <laughs> I was I loud think that, though. That, that turned out to be true. So I am the life of the party. Thank you. Yeah. You're sure. a party guy. So for most likely to succeed, I'm interested in your choice because I don't know how to interpret it. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what you're going to say. For me, most likely to succeed, I interpret it as a band with very little exposure very few plays on Spotify. 
who we interpreted these very differently very differently yeah okay so <laughs> mine was basically like uh, an under the radar pick so I don't have a lot of information about this band. This is just a bop that I heard one day on Loyola's radio station. I'm, I'm really near Loyola University in Chicago, and they have a longstanding and excellent college rock radio station. And this song, uh, Kiss Me in Heaven, from the 2021 album Accelerator by the group The Convenience. Indeed, this is flying under the radar. This doesn't even have half a million plays on Spotify. It has 400,000 plays. Aren't I Hip. The group are a duo. Uh, the names are Duncan Trost, like Toast, but with an R, and Nick Corson. Weirdly enough, they met in New Orleans at a university called Loyola University. So oh. that's a weird bit of cosmic coincidence. This is the thing, Ethan. We have a choice on this show, chorus versus chorus. We can talk about really popular artists with interesting stories that we can delve into, or we can play bops by dudes who make music. Yep. My choice is the latter. This is a song that is a bop and it's by two dudes. They met, they started making music Mm -hmm. and, and this is the music that they make. (laughs) And there it is, ladies and gentlemen. I will say, I think, I hope, and I think that this group will get more exposure. I think that they can write the hell out of a guitar pop song. This song I like a lot. It sounds like early Cure. It's very new wave and it's like lyrics. So kiss me in heaven after we die because I want to spend more than one life with you. Like that just sounds ripped from the brain of Robert Smith. You know, like Mm. it's just, it's just very precious 80s new wave. It's kind of naive. It's, it's wry. And I just think the melodicism is, is just phenomenal. I think it's excellent. So I wish these men success. I think they're likely to succeed. And hopefully I can be part of that. I love to evangelize for this song. So check out the convenience. If you are a fan of this show, go on their Spotify, pump up their plays. All right, so choice for most likely to succeed is hilarious to interpret when I saw this as <laughs> Lil Nas X most likely to find success in the future. <laughs> okay, yeah. now here's the explanation for yeah. why I chose this artist. I was thinking of, I was, I was more thinking in retrospect, right? Like who is an artist who's incredibly successful, who I think in their yearbook would have had most likely to succeed. For me, Lil Nas X in my brain has every single possible ingredient to become incredibly successful. And then I was thinking also, okay, maybe if I interpret this the other way, who is somebody who will succeed in the future? Maybe this is the exact wrong pick. But then I was thinking, no, actually, I think there is only up for Lil Nas X. Oh, absolutely. I think he will continue to take over the world and become like the most popular artist. I mean, this guy like 
just started performing shows. And yet, what? And yet, he he fully emerged, <laughs> knowing exactly what to be like. That's what's so impressive about it's him. crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Okay, well, let's pause for a minute. Who is Lil Nas, Lil Nas X? You know Lil Nas X. By the way, a name worse than Wet Leg. Oh, much worse. Much yeah. worse. Terrible. So Montero Lamar Hill was born in Lithia Springs, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta, was apparently named after the car, the Mitsubishi Montero. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> cool. Basically, his formative years were like all on Twitter, mm-hmm. all on the internet. That's why he's so um, good at Twitter. <laughs> he Graduated from high school, went to the University of West Georgia for a year, was actually majoring in computer science, interestingly enough, and then dropped out and just kind of like did stuff. And some of the stuff he did was being on the internet. He apparently created and ran some Nicki Minaj fan accounts. And then the way that he became really famous was he released this song called Old Town Road. Never heard of it. Old Town Road. It was just... He bought this beat anonymously on this beat selling platform called BeatStars, which if people don't know, like this is a whole world of music that exists now is people just put up these beats that they've made and you can scroll through them. A lot of them are free. Some of them cost five bucks. Some of them cost 500 bucks and you can just go click it, download it. And now it's yours and you can use it and you have the rights to it. What is, what is interesting and I never knew was he did, again, purchase this beat from a producer named Young Keo for exactly $30. Pretty good investment. I wonder if Young Keo ever got a little return on that. Maybe uh, not. I have no idea. Hope he did. <laughs> it would be nice. It samples a Nine Inch Nails track, apparently. Which I, you, you did know that. I, I, did. Told you, I told you that it's recorded. I have proof of oh, you. Well, of you I have a very that. bad memory, so run the tape back. <laughs> it's fine. DJ, run that back. He made a bunch of memes to basically promote the song. And then it like went on TikTok and went insanely viral. And everybody was doing Old Town Road, this thing called the Yeehaw Challenge. And it just was like millions of people posting. And it went super high on the charts when it finally got released, like as an actual song and not just this. It's it's possibly... I would love for someone to like challenge me and educate me on this, but it is possibly the most successful novelty song of all time. Oh, it's by gotta be by far. So there's tons of interesting things to talk about in terms of controversy, in terms of the, con- the country billboard charts and all that country billboard charts, all Pl- of this stuff. Plenty of podcasts have, you know, broken yeah. that down. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're not going to get into it. He signs to Columbia in 2019 puts out this EP called the seven EP. You know, I listened to it when it came out. I was like, okay, this is fine. I would love to hear more interesting music that comes from this person, but I was not like struck in any way, shape or form. So the and, the EP at this point represents the the point I would imagine that you and me and literally everybody else was like, yeah, he had a novelty hit. Yeah. On the, on I was the sort of like, that's nice. Yeah. Good for yeah. him. Yeah. And then... Then the song Montero comes out. And this song is, first of all, let's just pause and talk about this song. It is ridiculously catchy. It is musically very interesting. It is two minutes and 18 seconds long. It is a punk song length. That's stupid short. 
Yes, like you said, musically really interesting. It has this almost like Latin vibe to it. The it's in the chord- it's in the Phrygian mode. Yeah, it's it's the classic. Like if you've ever watched a western, and they have like the music that sounds like it's Mexico, and you know, well, it's a little it's a little flamenco too. Right, we are south of the border. It's that kind of sound to it but then well not just south of the border, over but like, he's... like spanish and moorish too and like right Moroccan, right you know yeah and he's rapping and he's singing and then the music video is a whole other thing where he's giving you know, satan how... a lap dance <laughs> i will i will also say like if doja cat was forged in the fires of like reddit or whatever like this guy was forged in the fires of twitter yeah his management of his twitter during the conservative backlash against this video is a masterclass in self-promotion on Twitter. So funny and good. I highly recommend, I'll try to find like a digest or something because he Mm -hmm. was tweeting multiple times an hour like through that news cycle Mm -hmm. of people freaking out about him giving Satan a lap dance. But it's like part of the thing, right? Like the door opened for him, right? Mm -hmm. With this fluke hit and he, and I think this is the point you're about to make, like artistically, yes. And also like representationally, like not since, yeah. not since Madonna has there been an artist so good at managing their image. Yeah. I mean, and, and he does it so well in these like really ridiculous ways. And this gets back to what I was saying in the beginning, like Lil Nas X could be the class clown. the ways that he promoted this album was he did this whole series of like skits where he was pregnant and he had a full like pregnant belly like ready to give birth to the album and then he's (laughs) at awards shows in a solid gold suit of armor you know it's just like the stuff that happens to him it just keeps going up 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 and you think there can be no further up that this man can go Lil Nas X, he is most improved. He is class clown. He is most likely to succeed. He's, he's the whole yearbook. A superstar. He is a whole the, yearbook. He's the whole yearbook. Yeah, um, I'll give it to you, which means we both win. We both win. You know but who you know, really wins but you know this who episode? Really wins? You know who really wins, Ethan? No, let me tell you. Let me tell okay. you. The convenience. Oh, yeah. If you They've can got just... featured amongst Beyonce, <laughs> Doja Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X. All songs with a billion plays on Spotify. Right, just get listen, a couple more zeros and you'll listen, catch up. Chorus versus chorus listeners, get on Spotify, push Kiss Me in Heaven to a billion plays so that when the convenience wakes up tomorrow, they're very confused and happy. Yeah. You know who else is the winner? Who? Yearbook editors across the country tirelessly working to pump out product for the high schoolers of the world. Man. So that you can have memories to hold on to. Do you still have your yearbooks? I have my high school yearbook, yeah. Yeah, me too. Just the one. Because you wanna you won you pitched one game that you, that your team won and they let you have a yearbook. Uh I only wanted to keep the senior yearbook. That was really mm. why. 
it wasn't yeah, yeah. important enough to me to get the other stuff. Well, Ethan, I would sign your yearbook. Uh, Thank you. If we were in high school, because we're friends. Yeah, I wouldn't sign yours because I would be too nervous to know what to write. And then you'd walk away in the time. That sounds about right. I probably would have been a jerk. And you know who's not a jerk? The chorus versus chorus listeners. Listeners, mm. if you liked the clips of the songs we played, especially if you're like, I've never heard Kiss Me More. What What is this song? Like, I've never walked through a Petco and heard it playing on, on loop while buying kitty litter. You can go to the Chorus versus Chorus official Spotify playlist. If you like our show, rate us on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, tell us because sometimes we're not sure how many people are actually listening to the show. And we'd love for you to listen with your friends and your family and your pets. And thanks for listening. Have parties where you just sit and listen to new episodes with like 12 of your favorite people and pets. That's that's all we want. Thanks, everybody. Bye.